as I was working with other women who were also trying to get sober, I found myself offering them compassion for the very things I condemned myself for. And I kind of came to the conclusion that we can't escape the same measuring stick that we judge others by. And by being in service to others with love and compassion and empathy, that measuring stick changes a little bit. And I was able to offer myself the same grace and compassion that I was offering others. Hi, I'm Barb Nangle. I want to welcome you to my podcast, Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery, where I help people heal their emotional, psychological, and spiritual wounds and make deep, lasting changes in their lives. I'm the founder and CEO of Higher Power Coaching and Consulting. I'm a boundaries coach who specializes in helping women who are focused on what others are thinking and doing and neglect themselves in the process. And I have coached hundreds of people on how to build healthy boundaries using my exclusive build framework. On this podcast, I share my experience, strength, and hope from recovery. I don't support or endorse any particular 12-step recovery fellowship, and I don't claim to speak for any particular 12-step fellowship. I also don't believe that 12-step recovery is the only way to recover. You might need additional help. I'm an avid beachcomber who collects sea glass, shells, wood, and stones. I am a formerly closeted fan of the Hallmark Channel, especially the Christmas movies. Hello, Christmas in July. I wear fingerless gloves from September to June because my hands are always cold, so I have about 15 pairs. And I get a huge kick out of counting how many days, weeks, and months there are until my birthday or Christmas at completely random times of the year. My hope is that you'll find my words concretely helpful in improving your life, whether you're in recovery or not. If you like what you've heard on this episode, please screenshot it and share it on your social media and tag me at Higher Power Coaching. This is episode 250 with guest Arlena Allen, Healing the Root Causes of Addiction. I'm really happy to have Arlena here. I heard her quite some time ago on another podcast. We were just trying to figure out which one that was. I think it was the Don't Child Podcast. I'm not really sure. And I was like, I totally need to follow her. I need to meet her. And I absolutely want to have her on the podcast. And it's been months. It's been a long time because as you know, I only have guests every 10th episode. So when I meet somebody, I'm like, yeah, it's going to be like the next, you know, 30 weeks from now, if I have three other people lined up. So date is here. I'm very excited to have Arlena share about healing the root causes of recovery. So let's hear your experience, strength and hope of recovery. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's always an honor and a privilege to be able to share my story and And hopefully, you know, relieve unnecessary suffering, right? When we're in service and we, and we do these things, I really feel like the overall goal is to really connect and to give, you know, hope stands for hearing other people's experiences. So hoping to offer a little bit of hope and maybe give some practical advice on how to heal the root cause of addiction, just to qualify for a little bit. I always get nervous when someone says I was born. (laughs) So maybe I won't go back that far, but I will talk about childhood a little bit because, you know, childhood is what sets the stage for what's to come afterwards. And for me, when I was very young, there were two things that shaped my identity and kind of set the stage for what was to come. One event was I was actually sexually abused by a neighbor and it kind of went on for some time. 
and I think it started around five years old. I was super young. And then the second thing was that my parents divorced when I was seven. You know, these two events that went on when I was very young shaped my identity. It shaped who I thought I was in terms of deservability, worthiness. I kind of had this feeling that I was alone. You know, this idea of not lovable kind of has two flavors to it. It's it's like I'm too much or not enough, not good enough. You know, that's kind of what happened. That's kind of what happened to me. And I was instilled with these feelings at a very young age. And I had my first drink very young. And it was before I was 10 years old, because that's when my mom met my stepdad and he gave me my first journal. You know, they called it a diary back then. It was like, dear diary, this is what's happening today. You know, it was that kind of thing. And what happened was, is my mom went out for dinner. She left my sister and I home alone, which was like a normal thing to do back then. I'm 55. So like back in the day, you could leave kids alone and it wasn't a criminal offense. <laughs> But uh, so I was left home alone with my older sister. She's a couple years older than me. And I decided that I was going to drink some of the booze that was in this dusty old bottle that was in the cabinet. And I'll just tell you, this is not learned behavior. I don't recall ever seeing my parents drink, but I remember making that decision. I'm not sure where that idea came from, but I remember like the excitement of doing something naughty. Like my older sister was the compliant child. So she like did all her homework and she always did what she was in. She's quiet and all that. I was like the tornado. <laughs> I was like the opposite wild child. And I just remember the excitement. I felt like I was going to do something, something naughty and, and all that. But I remember that first drink like it was yesterday. I remember the way it burnt my lips the way it burnt all the way down. And then when it hit bottom, that warmth that spread through my whole body. And then I didn't realize it was like suddenly all this stuff was lifted from me. All this self-consciousness, self-loathing that I had, I was already full of self-loathing by the time that I had this experience. This feeling of like, I'm broken. There's something wrong with me. I hate who I am. Very early age. And when I had that drink, all those feelings were lifted and all I felt was good. And the juxtaposition between those two feelings, the feelings of really bad and really good, the contrast was so stark that it burned. That memory was burned into my psyche forever. You know, looking back, I really learned that something outside of myself could soothe me on the inside. And, you know, that wasn't the only way I learned to self-soothe. I did have this feeling of not good enough. So I became sort of like an overachiever, but it wasn't in any of the good things. It wasn't like I was going to try to be good in school. It was, <laughs> I was going to be the, the wildest kid at the party type of thing, right? I decided that if I couldn't be good, I was going to be good at being bad. And that's kind of where my mindset was. That's kind of how it was for me growing up. You know, I, I, I lived with my mom. She was from Mexico City. My daddy was from Kentucky. And I always felt different. I was different from my friends. I grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Even with my family, I felt kind of othered. You know, when I was with my white family, I was the Mexican one. When I was with my Mexican family, I was the white one. So I always had sort of like this feeling I didn't really belong anywhere. And other people seemed like they could fit into life. I just didn't get it. I just didn't feel like I belonged anywhere. And, you know, growing up with my mom, you know, she had two predominant feelings. She was either really happy or really angry. 
And I felt like she saved her happy face for the outside world. And, you know, I remember hearing her car pulling up in the driveway. This is back in the day of the latchkey kid. When you came home from school and your parents were at work, you let yourself in. I remember hearing her pull up in the driveway and just being terrified, looking around like, oh, what didn't I do? Dishes didn't get done. Homework didn't, stuff was, you know, that kind of thing. And in all fairness to her, you know, I'm 55. I have grown kids, I, you know, and I have a partner that's helping me. But there were days when my kids were growing up where I was tired and upset and they get the grouchy mom, right? So, you know, I, I do have quite a bit of compassion for my mom. But as a kid, you don't really have context or perspective. And my predominant feelings were that I was guilty and wrong. And so that kind of set the stage for me. My self-esteem was really low. I was very vulnerable to what was to come, the addictions, and I didn't have a lot of coping skills. So, you know, drugs and alcohol and external validation became my coping skill. I was very like, they used to call it boy crazy when I was growing up. And uh, I sort of always had this idea that if only I could fall in love or make a lot of money, like those would be the things that would save me. And as it turns out, it was love that saved me in the end, but it didn't show up the way I thought it would. You know, it showed up in the form of people in 12-step rooms and those sober communities, right? But I'm jumping a little ahead. What I will tell you is that between the first drink and the last drink, I had a lot of what I would call like episodes where I would drink and like these really big feelings would just explode. I kind of had two predominant personalities. It was either Wimpy Wendy or Badass Betsy because I was either fighting or crying. You know, when I, when I drank, I was just that girl. I was, I was a mess. I just had no off switch. As soon as I started to drink, my immediate feeling was I want more, just more, more of whatever, you know, and it wasn't just alcohol. It was all kinds of things. I never did heroin because I didn't know you could snort it and I was afraid to shoot it. And I saw too many like after school specials. So I was really afraid of it. And thank God, right? Thank God I didn't know you could snort it. Or I probably would have done that too. But uh, I just like had a series of what I would call these like episodes, you know? And the overall theme was if it was in a bottle, a bag, or blue jeans, I was doing it <laughs> because I used all kinds of things to change the way I feel. I mean, I would have. All those typical, I think it's typical, you know, you black out drinking, vomiting, like that was, I used to say if I didn't have splash marks on my shoes the next day, it wasn't a good time because <laughs> I was keeping it classy. But uh, just all these crazy things. And I don't know, I used to wake up and be like, oh my God, that's not my ceiling. <laughs> like, who are you? Nice to meet you. You know, the walk of shame the next day. It's just the whole thing. I was like, total classic, crazy girl. And, you know, this went on until I was 25. It actually started to change when I was about 23. I had a very bad night with my sister. Um, she and I had gone out and I was supposed to meet somebody that didn't show up. And I was really upset and I lost my damn mind on the way home and I blacked out. And the next morning, I knew something really bad had happened. My hand was uh, black and blue and swollen. And I knew I had to call my sister. She and I had gone out and I had to call her and ask her what happened. She's like, you should come over. And she was so pissed at me. And I went over to her house. She was living with my mom. She recounted this story of how I behaved and how I humiliated myself. I mean, the police were involved, but for whatever reason, I didn't go to jail. That was my incomprehensible demoralization. 
that was when I started asking the questions. Am I an alcoholic? When did I cross the line? What makes somebody an alcoholic? And I just started asking the questions and one question led to another. And pretty soon I was sharing these kinds of thoughts with, um, I, I had, uh, I was, had this job where I was an outside sales rep and two of my customers were in the program, Mitch and Randy. You know, would they listen to my stories? They would share their experience, strength and hope basically and carry the message very quietly, you know, not overtly. But they finally invited me to a meeting and I finally got to that place. I tried to practice moderation for two years from the night that I had that incident with my sister to the time I decided to go get help. I had to answer the question, can I moderate? And I tried all the things and it took me two years, but I finally came to the conclusion that I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And the answer was no, I could not moderate. I was never going to be able to drink like a normal person or anything else for that matter. So I got into, you know, a 12-step program. I did all the things that they asked me to do. I attacked it with the same intensity and vigor that I sought after everything else that I did, right? And I had that I had that transformation. And it wasn't so much that I evolved into a new person as much as it was I was able to shed a bunch of baggage and ill-fitting coping skills. And this is kind of where we get into sort of the healing the root causes. I got to root causes and conditions. I learned that, you know, some of the things that happened to me, it wasn't my fault, but it was my responsibility. I learned that I had a lot of childhood pain that was unresolved that I dissociated from, that I really didn't know that I was walking around with a bunch of trauma. So through the process of, you know, I did the peer support thing and and 12 step, but I also did a lot of therapy, you know, so I, I got sober April 23rd of 94. So it's been a long time. And I have done a ton of therapy alongside these practices of self-reflection, accountability, being of service to others, and, you know, turning my self-centeredness to self-care was really interesting for me because I had a very negative internal dialogue. And as I was working with other women who were also trying to get sober, I found myself offering them compassion for the very things I condemned myself for. And I kind of came to the conclusion that we can't escape the same measuring stick that we judge others by. And by being in service to others with love and compassion and empathy, that measuring stick changes a little bit. And I was able to offer myself the same grace and compassion that I was offering others. Right. And so my internal landscape began to change once I was able to really embrace this idea of self-compassion and really sort of the inventory process of 12 step was the first time I was able to sort of sort out what was mine and what wasn't, and then take responsibility for what was mine and let go of the rest. And that was like the beginning of the, the shedding, the surrendering, the, you know, my internal compass started to change from being so heavily externally focused on validation to this new development of internal validation. Because I'm the one person I can never escape from, right? I was taught to treat myself as if I were my own best friend and give myself grace that I was giving to others. And really, you know, once I was able to resolve the 
the drugs and alcohol piece, that's when I was really able to create a life that I felt really good about and start to heal those root causes. And for me, the root causes were all around my subconscious negative beliefs. You know, I started doing things like uh, hypnotherapy and meditation and prayer and just all those things. It had such a profound effect on me in the sense that, you know, whenever we have a reaction that's disproportionate to the situation, like they say that if it's hysterical, it's historical. That was a sign that I had unresolved trauma, wounds, whatever you want to call it. And what I learned about hypnosis is that you can access the subconscious mind the first session that you do it. Whereas in traditional therapies, it usually takes between 18 and 25 sessions for you to develop the sort of trust and safety required with a therapist to get to those root cause issues. And so listen, I'm nothing if not an efficiency (laughs) freak, I guess. And so that was really one of the most powerful tools I use to help reframe those subconscious negative beliefs about myself and, you know, what I was capable of in this world. So much so that I decided, you know, when I became a sober coach and a life coach and all that, that I included a hypnosis certification. And and that's the kind of work that I do with my clients. But I'll just say this way of life is, you know, it's not always easy, but it is definitely worth it. I, I heard this idea that easy choices lead to a hard life and hard choices lead to an easy life. And I wouldn't say that my life was easy, but I can tell you that I am grateful that I have been able to do the deep, painful work of excavating and healing those really deep wounds so that that I could live freer today with you know in a more conscious intentional way of creating the kinds of experiences that I want and and I'm just here to say that it's possible even if you tried a thousand times and you feel like you failed that's just a sign that we need to go deeper sometimes people that you know relapse a lot that's a sign of unhealed wounds it's not your fault you know, and to have some compassion and empathy and, and seek, seek loving support because it really is out there. And, you know, we can, we can absolutely manifest our dreams just one day at a time, right? That's it for me. I hope that was helpful. Yeah, there was so much good stuff in there. I can't believe I never heard the acronym HOPE before, hearing other people's experiences. That was just like, wow, I love those acronyms like that. And then um, easy choices, hard life, hard choices, easy life. I think I find, especially clients that I work with, they're like, this is so hard. I'm like, here's the thing. You can do hard because you've been doing hard your entire life. And this hard is temporary. Ooh, that's good. It's going to end and there's healing on the other side, but the hard you've been doing is just getting worse. And it's just prolonging the pain and all that sort of thing. So, wow, you really did a phenomenal job of making it very clear where this came from. But I also love the way that you talked about moving from self-centered to self-compassion. I've never heard anybody say it like that before. And then the way you talked about gaining your own self-compassion through service to other people, that was really beautiful. One of the things you said that I identified with is treating yourself like your own best friend, 
like I started to see like, oh, I would never talk to another person like this. And to be frank, I wouldn't allow another person to talk to me the way that I talk <laughs> right? to myself. I wouldn't. And so when I started to see that, it was like, oh my God, you know, just unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited for people to hear you. And you mentioned that, you know, you're a sober coach and all that kind of stuff. So please tell everybody all the things that you offer, who you work with, the kinds of things they can expect from working with you, how to find you, all that kind of stuff. I have soberlifeschool.com is sort of like the main hub. And from there, you can find the podcast, the One Day at a Time Recovery Podcast. I do have a sobriety reset. It's sort of like a 30-day online self-paced class for people that are just wanting to sort of dip into this information, maybe get their first 30 days, see what it feels like. But for people who want one-on-one support, I do have private one-on-one coaching. And it is a process of hearing somebody's story because everybody is just a little bit different. Everybody comes with a, a unique set of circumstances. And then really designing some goals that are reasonable. I like using the SMART goal methodology, the specific, measurable, actionable, uh, reasonable, and time-bound. I feel like that's super productive. Mm -hmm. But also to sort of dig into the past through hypnosis and identify some of those limiting beliefs, where they came from, and how to sort of reframe those at the subconscious level. So that we can move forward in a very intentional, conscious way, right? I have found it to be really productive. I usually work with people for about three months and then I cut them loose. I'm not trying to create any kind of dependency, but, you know, I kind of do some monthly checkups for a while. And, you know, it's just amazing to see people. I mean, these are things, these are problems that have solutions, right? Mm. We don't have to do it alone. You know, I feel like we kind of are raised with this uh, extreme independence, like nobody's coming to rescue you. So you got to figure it out. But I tell you what, figure it out is not a slogan anywhere. <laughs> you know, we need each other and, and we're here to support. When I hear myself use the term figure it out, I know that I'm screwed. <laughs> so I'm, I've never heard it said it's not a slogan for a yeah. reason. That's a really good reason. You can hypnotize people over Zoom. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Because really, it's just, it's it, uh, hypnosis is very similar to meditation. It's different. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it is getting somebody relaxed into a theta brainwave state and then taking them through a script that helps them to identify, you know, these places. Like, where did you decide that it wasn't okay to have feelings? When did you decide that you weren't good enough and sort of reframe those? It really is like informing the four-year-old child or the eight-year-old who got this negative message and reframing that at that level. Nice. It has a way, it's kind of magical. It kind of releases those, those triggers. I'm in ACA and I do uh, reparenting. And this past year, my reparenting, I've been in ACA for going on nine years. Wow. And I dabbled in reparenting, but what I've done in the last year has been absolutely miraculous. And I feel like I've changed my DNA. Yeah, you have. So I hear you about like going down to that. Yeah, going down to that deep, deep level. Yeah. One last question. Do you work with women and men or any gender? No, I'm happy to work with men. I uh, have only worked with a few men. I, I feel like I seem to attract women in professional roles, mm -hmm. uh, but I'm happy to work with 
with anybody really. I mostly, for some reason, I have a lot of doctors and uh, lawyers right now. I don't know what that is, what that's about. That's really interesting. I just feel like there's there's a certain group of people who have a need for privacy and flexibility. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, who yeah, don't want to go sure. sort of the traditional route and don't have time to, you know, they can't take 30 days to go to rehab and they don't want to go to meetings and all that. Wonderful. Well, we'll be sure to put all your stuff in the show notes. And I thank you so much. And look forward to I can't wait to listen to it when it you know, when it comes out live. Me too. If you're ready to finally have an enjoyable, relaxing summer doing things you really want to do, instead of always following other people's agendas, I have some openings for private clients right now. If you are really tired of saying yes to things you really don't want to do and being overly accommodating to others, this is for you. It's time to start accommodating yourself. Maybe you're dissatisfied with your relationships and overwhelmed with all kinds of difficult feelings because of your interactions with others. If you'd like to get your life in order before the summer hits, go to barbchat.net and sign up for a free 30-minute call with me about my private coaching so we can get started right away. That way, you'll be done by summer. This is for people who are finally ready to make deep, lasting changes in their relationship patterns, including their relationships with themselves, their partners, family, friends, and colleagues. Go to barbchat.net. If you like this podcast, and I'm guessing you did or you wouldn't still be listening, then you're going to love the other things I have to offer. If you'd love pre-release podcast scripts and episodes before anyone else gets them, or if you'd love access to content from my private vault that I developed exclusively for my private clients, which is like having a work session with me without me actually being there, go to patreon.com slash higher power coaching. There are three tiers ranging from as low as $4 up to $24 a month. You'll also love my weekly newsletter, Friday Fragments, which has content very similar to the podcast. You can check it out at fridayfragments.news. That's fridayfragments.news. Please like and subscribe to my podcast on your favorite podcast outlet. I'd also love it if you'd leave a review, which you can do either in the show notes or on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find my podcast so they can get the benefits you've gotten from listening. If someone came to mind when you listened to this particular episode, please share it with them. And my favorite place to hang out on social media is Instagram. I'm at Higher Power Coaching. Please DM me there. I'd love to hear what you got from this episode. I run group and private coaching programs on building healthy boundaries. Whether you need help with boundaries in your personal, professional, or romantic life, I can help. Head on over to barbchat.net where you can hop onto my calendar for a free 30-minute Better Boundaries consultation. My ideal client is someone who is ripe for change. If that's you, I would love to work with you. My goal with all my work is to help you make lasting changes in your life like I've made deep lasting changes in my life. Remember, it's never too late to recover. No one is beyond hope and healing is 
possible. Thanks for listening.